Dr. Alan Leica here, and I'd like to welcome you to How to Live a Fantastic Life Show, where we will be discussing the important aspects of your life. We hope to inspire you to live the best life you can. Get out of your comfort zone and explore the awesome world around you. Break through your barriers. Take inspired action. Use the difficulties in your life to achieve the best version of you. Ladies and gentlemen, today we have a special guest. Her name is Mildred Mohammed, and she's an expert on domestic violence and speaker on the topic. The reason why is she had lived through a very traumatic life uh, previously, and as a result, she is a person that learned from experience. Now, Mildred is the ex-wife of John uh, of John Mohammed who is a very violent person. And we're going to go into that for you to understand uh, what it is to be a person that's in domestic uh, violence. Welcome, Mildred. Thank you. I really appreciate this opportunity to speak with your community. Well, thank you for being here. Let's go back a few years. Uh, how did you meet uh, John Mohammed? Well, I met John, I was at the store with a friend of mine, and he was coming out of the store. He asked me to go out on a date, and we met that night, and from that point on, we began dating. So this was in the that? 1980s, <laughs> without telling my age, right? <laughs> without telling your age, we just like people to, you know, I heard that, you know, a lot of the younger generation do not have a context for anything. And, and because we have a diverse audience, I think the audience has to know a little bit about the history so that mm -hmm. they can therefore put it in perspective. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. So, so this was a number of years ago now. And, right. And, and, and you fell in love and mm -hmm. you, you married to this character. Yes, sir. We had three children. We were married for 12 years. He was in the military. He's an 84 combat engineer. He was a sergeant. And he and his unit were called to Desert Storm in 1990. And so he came back in three months because of a shoulder injury. However, when he returned, he wasn't the same person that went over. Prior to Desert Storm, he was jovial. He was the life of the party. Everybody wanted to be around him. And if anybody called him for help, he would be there. He would literally give you the shirt off his back if you needed it. When he returned, he wasn't jovial. He would sit in the corner, rock back and forth. I would ask him, uh, are you okay? He would just say, I'm good. He was diagnosed with PTSD at the time, and he was not debriefed. Now, PTSD at that time, in the 1990s, there were no resources for soldiers who were diagnosed with PTSD. So they pretty much had to fend for themselves or try to find their own way to come to terms with what they witnessed and what they did in Desert Storm. Yeah. And this is a terrible thing that goes on with a lot of veterans in the forces mm -hmm. uh, that they, they've had to really grapple with things. But at the same time, that doesn't give them the right to be a person that was a domestic abuser. Absolutely. It, it, 
there's no excuse for domestic violence or domestic abuse. And, um, and on no terms am I stating or implying that because John was diagnosed with PTSD, that was the reason why he committed those crimes. There are many people that are diagnosed with PTSD. And just to be, just to be clear, it's post-traumatic stress disorder. There are people who live in hostile neighborhoods. They are diagnosed with PTSD. There are individuals who are victims of crime, victims of domestic violence, sometimes victims of physical diseases that are diagnosed with PTSD. So it's just not synonymous to the military. It just depends on what is, has happened that has caused a traumatic experience in your life and you're having to try to understand a diagnosis that you have no clue about. Fortunately, there are many resources now that are available to anyone who is diagnosed with PTSD, and that is a plus. Well, let's turn the tables a little bit to you, okay. and how, okay. how this started to affect you and how this abusive situation started coming out and, and how you were able to cope and eventually arise above that. So let's talk a little bit about that, because I think there's a lot of women out there who live an abused life, and, and many of them discount it. They just keep on living that life because they don't know anything else. Well, there are two parts to domestic violence. There's domestic abuse and there's domestic violence. The one to eight seconds is domestic abuse. The nine to 15 seconds is domestic violence. So what's the one to eight seconds? The one to eight seconds is verbal assaults, emotional, psychological, stalking, spiritual. Some people use scripture to keep their spouses in place stalking and eventually the nine to 15 seconds, which is a hit, a punch, spitting, slapping, pushing down the stairs, physically mutilation and ultimately death. So I just want to give your audience the difference because there is. So when you hear the term domestic violence, that's just the old, that's the umbrella that encompasses everything under there. The one to eight seconds is domestic abuse. The nine to 15 seconds is domestic violence. Yeah, that's, that's very important to realize. It's very important. Yeah. And it's not something that starts just bingo. It, it, it's something that starts and then escalates. And Correct. that escalation is something that, that is important to realize as well. It is. And even if you don't, experience domestic violence, verbal, emotional, stalking, threats to your, your personal body and threats to take your children away are still forms of domestic abuse. I did not suffer any physical violence, but the emotional, trying to get people to understand you know, it's, when you are a victim of domestic abuse, right, and I come to you and I tell you, and you know John, and you, what, what you experienced of him, he's a wonderful guy, charismatic, cares about everything, 
would give you the shirt off his back, would be just that person that you would call to lean on. However, you don't live with him. Right? So I come and I say, you know, I feel like that. John is just, he is really tearing me down, making me feel like I'm worth nothing. And I'm, I'm really trying to work on my marriage and really trying to make it work. But he's really being difficult and I don't know what to do. The next thing you say is very critical and very important to that person coming to you because your next comment will determine if I, as a victim, will continue to speak with you or run away from you. So if you say, well, Mildred, I I don't understand why you're saying these things about John. He just took his side. That's how quick it is. He just took his side. And you just told me I cannot talk to you because what you're going to do, you're going to go back to John and tell him what I said. Not knowing you're putting my life in danger. I can't have that. I can't do that. Do you, it, it takes courage for a victim to even come to you and say, I'm experiencing. No victim is going to say, I'm a victim of domestic violence. We're not going to say that. We're going to put it in a very subtle expression just to see and hear what you would say. Now, if you say, well, Mildred, what can I do to help you? Oh, you have just saved my life. Oh, my goodness, I know that you're going to do everything possible that you can within reason to help me. And that's the difference. Someone comes to you saying they need help. They may they, they're not going to just come out and say it. They're going to drop seed. I call it the touch test. That's a touch test. I'm touching you with my words to see how you're going to come back to me. And if you don't, Dr. Leica, I'm gone. You will, you will never hear from me again. Now let's go back in your life. When did you start reaching out? When did you start realizing that it was bad so that you had to move forward in some way? That's when- what I was doing. I was doing the touch test. I was yeah. asking, you know, John is, you know, he, he's not giving me enough money to buy food. John only gave me $50 to buy food for me, my mom, and three children. $50. And they would say, well, John wouldn't do that because I never talked to those people again. I'm, I'm only telling you what I went through so that you will be able to determine how you can Prevent falling in the pitfalls that I experienced so that you can be a step higher than what I went through, yeah. right? Because I went to friends. I went to family. That's what, that was the first people you go to, friends and family, right? Went to uh, my uh, minister. They all took his side. Yeah. I, had, I had to, and, and you all, he was able to convince them that I was the problem. And even when we separated, those people would come to my home, sit and talk with me and go back to John and tell him what I was doing. Oh my God. So 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 the element of surprise is the most valuable 
tool you can have. Only tell one person because that's what I did. One person what you're trying to do. Any more than that one person, it will get back to your abuser. Yeah. Were you able to break the cycle by finding somebody you could confide in? There were three people that I could confide in. But I stopped confiding in them to save their life. See, I knew how dangerous John was. But nobody took me seriously. I knew because he said, you have become my enemy. And as my enemy, I will kill you. That's an open threat. And I took him serious because number one, he's in the military. And he told me, I will kill you and bury you where no one will ever be able to find you. That's a serious threat. And I took him for his word because John said what he meant. And he meant what he said. He didn't talk frivolously. He didn't talk just to be talking. If he had something to say, he said it, and he was serious. So to get someone to believe that this charismatic, fun guy would do something like this to me, I was the one that was crazy. I was the one that was too emotional. I was the one who over-exaggerated what he said. He didn't mean any of that. I don't need, why, why would you take that so seriously? Because I know him. And we have to start listening to victims of domestic violence and abuse because they know their abuser. And what, do, what does society do? Society asks the victim, why do you stay? There are many reasons why I stay, but why don't we change that narrative? And why don't you start asking the abuser, why do you abuse? Why do you terrorize your family? Why do you constantly cause chaos within your family? Why do you do that? What is it in your, in you that make you feel that you are entitled to totally control someone else's life? But we don't want to do that because we are afraid of the, the abuser just like the victim is. And, and this history showed us in the case of your former husband that he was a very violent individual. Absolutely. Nobody yeah. believed me. They didn't believe me until... He ended up shooting several people. 17 people. That's when they came. And you know, when they caught him, they had nothing to hold him on. They had to find something that would help them to to hold him to build the case. So what did they do? They went looking for a legal anything. They found my restraining order that the Tacoma Police Department failed to put it in the NCIC. What is that? The National Crime Information Center. Every time they stopped John within the shootings and they ran his plate, nothing came back because they didn't put my restraining order in the system. It was a sheriff in Maryland that found my restraining order, put it in the NCIC. They were able to hold him for violating the restraining order. That's what they held him on, violating 
my restraining order in order to build a case against him and against him that would eventually end up in a trial. My restraining order, had they not had that, they would have had to let him go. Now, it took a lot of courage on your part to get a restraining order. Yes, it did. And it takes a lot of courage for any woman or man to go to court to get a restraining order. Some people say, well, that will escalate the situation. It, it probably will. But it is your it is the footprint that the legal system looks at as to how diligent you were in trying to get some type of relief from your abuser. A restraining order is not a bulletproof vest because the most dangerous person in the world is someone who has nothing to lose. So if I'm trying to kill you, guess what? A restraining order is not going to stop me. I'm going to kill you and be happy about it and go to jail or, or perhaps get executed, whatever. As long as you're not breathing on the planet, that's my goal. And your former husband, uh, because of his life circumstances or perhaps some things in his evil past, became a person that was extremely violent. He was violent to you. He was violent to everybody around him at that time. At that time, he, but you have some abusers that are subtly violent, right? When I say subtly, I mean, they don't, they, they so even, even emotionally that they could look at you and think about ways to kill you and you won't even know it. And that's how John was. John took his MOS, which was a combat engineer in the army. His mission was to go into enemy territory to seek out roads and bridges and blow them up so that the enemy would not have a chance to cross them and to escape. He brought that job into the civilian sector. And so he went out, he killed innocent people, he got in his car and he drove away quiet. The prosecutor and law enforcement's theory was he was killing innocent people to cover up my murder so that he could come in as the grieving father and get custody of our children. I didn't say that. And a lot of people think I am the one that authored that theory. I am not. That's what the prosecutor said. That's what law enforcement told me. Law enforcement told me, Ms. Muhammad, didn't you know you were the target? I said, no, I didn't, I didn't know that. Certainly a twisted mind and a twisted evil person in doing it. And certainly a different thing. So yes, sir. Help some of the people out there that may be in an abusive situation. How can they get out of it? How can what would be their steps to move forward from that situation? Well, there there are there are steps for victim, for friends and family, and for an employer, right? So, because right now we're teleworking. And domestic violence evolved from a worldwide epidemic into a worldwide pandemic within a pandemic. So society, the world was reintroduced to the, the volatile act of 
domestic violence on all levels of income, all occupations, all statuses in life, everybody. We got to see that firsthand. Children are now left without parents. Some victims have were killed and the abusers are in jail. So everybody got to see that. So what, what does a victim have to do? Sometimes you don't know if you're in an abusive relationship and they feel like it. Things are happening. You no, know, you don't quite understand it. So this is, what I, this is what I would have you to do. Get a sheet of paper, draw a line down the middle. One side pros, the other side cons. The only thing you are evaluating is the relationship, not the person. And do not give excuses for the pros and the cons. Example, he brought me flowers. He brought me flowers. That's it. Don't say because, because when you put because, you're, you're justifying why he bought you flowers. No, he bought you flowers. A con could be, she took all the money without telling me. That's a con. You don't say because she needed to pay for ABC. No, she took all the money out of the bank because she didn't, and didn't tell me. That's a con, right? So you, you get all of these examples. Don't say because. Brutally honest. Separate your emotions from the facts. That's why I love Judge Judy. She said, I just need the facts. I just need the facts. If you want emotions, go talk to Dr. Phil. Just the facts. Once you get to the bottom of the page, if the pros outweigh the cons, that's a relationship you can work on. You can look at what those things are, how to tweak your relationship to make it better, and eventually it could grow into something more wonderful and more loving and secure than what you thought. But if the pros outweigh the cons, you have a decision to make. You have to decide if you wanna leave, if you wanna leave, where are you gonna go? How are you going to get there? I, on my, my website, mildredmohammed.com, I have a safety plan. It's called Planning My Escape. Eight steps. The number eight means transformation because you are transforming from a victim to a survivor. You've been listening to How to Live a Fantastic Life. life. Be sure and pick up a copy of Dr. Leica's book, The Secrets the to Living a Fantastic Life, on Amazon.com. And you'll want to subscribe you right here on this page so you don't miss a, a single episode. Have a fantastic over. day. That's very important. Always keep the element of surprise to one person. If you're trying to leave, every now and then take a, a, an outfit to your office, over to your cousin's house or your friend's house. Let them know what you're doing. One person. One. Let them know what you're doing. Put some money in the bank. Go to Walmart. Get a Walmart card. Start adding money to that card. Put that separate from your bank account. If it's $10, if it's $20, a paycheck. $50. Just make sure it's, an, it's the amount of money that the, that the abuser won't notice is missing. $5. Whatever that is, put that on that Walmart card. Take that card, leave it at your office, whatever the case may be. You got that safety plan? Do not take that safety plan home. Give it to a friend. Leave it at your office. Lock it up somewhere else, not in your home. Do not pack clothes and put them in the trunk of your car. Do not do that. You are losing the element of surprise and make a plan to leave. Now, if you are a friend, 
you know somebody who's a victim of domestic violence, they know you know, you know they know, right? But you don't know what to do. You don't want to put yourself in harm's way, which I will never advocate for anyone to put themselves in harm's way trying to help their friend. Because if my friend called me saying that something's going on, I'm calling the police. I'm not going over there. I'm not trained to do that. The police are trained. So, you know, your friend's in trouble. You want to help. This is what you do. If you're married, talk to your, your spouse. If you have a partner, talk to your partner. So this is what you do. You sit down and you say, okay, what are we going to do? First, you got to get your boundaries in check. You got to know what you will do, what you won't do, and what you can't do. Will you give them money to get a new, a, another apartment or to pay for their hotel? Can they come and live with you? You know the, the situation at hand and you don't want to put yourself in harm's way like that. What, won't you, what can't you do? Give them resources. Give them the, the National Domestic Violence Hotline number, 800-799-7233. Give them that. But don't leave them with nothing. So, got your boundaries in check. Take that person to lunch, not dinner. Dinner time is checked. And the abuse is going to be watched at lunch. The world is semi-open right now. So, going out to lunch, going to the park, you know. Getting out, getting some air, fine. You get to that location, do your little surface talk. Hey, how you doing? Da, 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 right? Okay. Only one question you should be asking, and that is, how can I help you? A victim is never asked, how can I help you? Because you're too busy telling them what to do and you don't understand that you sound just like an abuser. Asking a victim, how can you help? is the most empowering question you can ask. Because now I know as a victim, I have someone who really wants to help me and really values how I want to leave. Every victim wants to leave. But every victim doesn't know how. So asking me is really letting me know how much you truly love me. Now, I may not answer right away. Because, again, nobody asked me that before. I'm trying to figure out what, what you're doing. <laughs> what you do? Why you ask me that? <laughs> Once I realize that you're, you're sincere, don't offer me an out. Don't say, well, you, you know, you can do this. You can, no, don't do that. Just wait. Wait to hear what they have to say. Because you already know what you will do, what you won't do, and what you can't do. You already know. So once they tell you what they need, then you can say, well, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure if I can help you with that, but I can help you with this. You may not be able to come and stay with me, but I can at least get you a hotel room. I can give you the 800 number to the domestic violence hotline and they have resources available that can help you even in this area that's how you help a victim of domestic abuse and violence well mildred i must first of all thank you for coming here today because your <laughs> you. words is, are there to help empower women absolutely in situation that you were in and you will help many many others as a result Mm -hmm. and I would like to give people the opportunity to get in touch with you. Okay. How, how can they do so if they so want? 
they can go to my website, nojamahamad.com, and go to the contact page and send me an email. I answer all emails within 24 hours. You will not wait long. I promise you that. If you're looking for a speaker, and I hope you are, <laughs> you can also contact me on there to book me as one of your speakers. My books are also on the website, and I am a certified professional and personal development life coach. So if you're looking for a life coach, it's someone to help you to maneuver through the traumatic experiences or try to get a handle on what you're feeling and how to get beyond that, I'm here to help you with that too. And you can go onto that website and book a free breakthrough session, 30 minutes for free. And we can talk about what's going on with you and how I can help you to live a life of love, safety, and happiness. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I give you Mildred Muhammad, a truly amazing, enlightened person that can help empower you and you in your situation. Mm -hmm. Now, ladies and gentlemen, if you have found something in this episode that you'd like, please like this episode. Put some comments down so we can get this out to more people. Thank you very much, Mildred, for being here. Thank you. Thank you again for this opportunity to speak to your community. Have a fantastic day. You too. You've been listening to How to Live a Fantastic Life. Be sure and pick up a copy of Dr. Laika's book, The Secrets to Living a Fantastic Life, on Amazon.com. And you'll want to subscribe right here on this page so you don't miss a single episode. Have a fantastic day. Fantastic day.